I invite you to open your Bibles with me, if you will, this morning to the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 20. We continue our study of the 12 disciples, and this morning we look at that disciple that's probably well known by many of us. His name is Thomas. John 20, verse 24. Look at what the scripture says. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he, that is Thomas, said to the rest of them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let's start with word association. You've done this before, I think uh, even recently, so hopefully it will be uh, familiar to you. I say a word, name, and I want you as a congregation to responsively say together just what instinctively comes to mind. Uh, Daniel and the lion's den, good, I like it. Think about it being more of Daniel's den and lions were there. But uh, anyway, Daniel and the lion's den. Noah and the... Good. Thomas the doubter. Why is that? Uh, We just read it there in Scripture. You see Jesus had uh, been raised from the dead and he'd appeared to multiple people on different occasions even to the disciples themselves in the upper room, a place that they had visited on probably more than one occasion. And on a time when Thomas was not there, Jesus came and revealed himself to the disciples, the risen Lord. They reported this to Thomas and said, we've seen him. And Thomas put down some very strict conditions. And he said, guys... Unless I myself have that face-to-face encounter, unless I can reach out and, and touch the fingerprints, uh, put, put the uh, hole in his hands, if, if, I can, if I can touch the side that was pierced, maybe I'll believe. But until that happens, I will not believe. You make one glaring statement, one Mistake, we might even call it publicly. No one lets you forget it, will it? I had a, had a lady, uh, I say this respectfully, a senior adult lady brought me a coffee mug one time. It was a gift, it was wrapped, and I was very honored to get it. And then I opened it in her presence. She said, I want you to see it while I'm here. And so I took it out, and it had writing on both sides of the coffee mug. On one side it said, if you get it right, nobody notices turn the coffee mug around, then it says, you get it wrong, everybody notices. So we had a good laugh about that, and I said, have I done anything recently to deserve this kind of gift? And she said, no, (laughs) but you will. (laughs) Sort of put you on your toes, you know, wondering, well, what am I going to do to deserve this? 1929... University of California was playing the Georgia State Yellow Jackets. 
in the Rose Bowl. Now, not many of us were around to see this firsthand, but let me just sort of replay it for you. Georgia Tech was to receive the opening kickoff of the game. And as the kickoff proceeded, it went down the field and a, and a center, uh, well, I should say Georgia Tech fumbled the ball, and a center from the University of California, the Golden Bears, they were referred to back then, wound up with the ball in his hands. And uh, like a center, he wasn't used to being the running back, and so he didn't know what to do with it. And one of his teammates said, run! And he did in the wrong direction. And Roy Regals was tackled on the two-yard line by his own teammate before he would have scored a touchdown for Georgia Tech. So when they got down on the line of scrimmage, they realized they were so close to the end zone, instead of you know, trying to run the ball and get out, they punted. They were just going to punt the ball down the field and give it back to Georgia Tech. But Georgia Tech blocked the punt. Another teammate wound up with it in his hands, and they tackled him in the end zone and got a safety worth two points for Georgia Tech. Would you care to guess what the end of the score was for that game? Six to eight. Georgia Tech. Roy Regals played what many call the most blundering play in football and lived for the duration of his life believing that because of him, his team lost the 1929 Rose Bowl. Never got over it. Fast forward a few years, 1938, there was a pilot from California by the name of Douglas Corrigan. And he commented to some of his friends that he wanted to fly across the Atlantic, be the first pilot to do that. But everybody said, you, you, you can't do that. Douglas, you're an aviator's mechanic. He, he worked on Charles Lindbergh's uh, The Spirit of St. Louis plane and, and other very popular planes during that day, but he had not flown himself, but he did a little bit of flying, and on one occasion he flew to New York. And while he was in New York, he just spent the night, and the plans were for him to fly back to California the next day. He was just getting in some flight time, you know, but he was crossing the North American continent that way, from California to New York, back to California. And there's a very famous photograph of him signing his flight plans for the next day, and there's a very sheepish grin on his face. And you guess what happened. The very next day, it was said that he loaded his plane with some chocolate candy and half a liter of water, which they thought was very odd for a pilot to do. He signed his flight plans, which was to fly all the way back to California the very next day after he'd flown to New York. And as he got above the ceiling of the clouds, he said that his compass quit working on his plane. And instead of banking back to the west and heading to California, he just kept flying due east. And 28 hours and 13 minutes later, he landed in Dublin, Ireland. They met him on the runway and said, what are you doing here? You didn't have authorization to fly into Dublin. Where did you come from and so forth? And when he told them, they realized he was the first pilot to fly all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. And because he'd broken the law, so to speak, they wouldn't let him fly back. They put his plane on a steamboat, put him on the boat, and sent him back to New York. 
And on the way back to New York, when he got there, he was greeted with a hero's welcome and a ticker tape parade, and the Washington Post posted his picture and a title on the front page the next day when the parade was held, and backwards it read, Hail, Wrong Way Corrigan. And for the rest of his life, he was known as a pilot who always flew in the wrong direction. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Is that who Thomas really is? I mean, I've known a few Tomai through my life. Think about it. That's plural of Thomas. And it seems like I can remember an occasion or two, especially growing up as a child, when in the right context, in a group setting, Somebody named Thomas would just ask a question or make a statement and the one leading the discussion would usually refer back to them and say, Thomas, are you still doubting? Always being the one who was a little bit skeptical or cynical, not always wanting to accept what was being shared or presented as the truth. If you are a Thomas this morning, you may know exactly what I'm talking about, but I want to show you this morning that I don't think that's exactly who the Thomas of Scripture was. Flip back over in your Bible, if you would, to John's Gospel, chapter 11. Look with me here at this Scripture for just a moment. Jesus had received word that Lazarus had died. Lazarus, you know, was a friend of his. And as Jesus began talking about going back to Bethany to be with Martha and Mary and be with them during this time, it was too close to Jerusalem. And they were concerned that Jesus would go back and that they would capture Jesus. They would take him captive and they would persecute him. They would, they would torture him. They may even kill him. But I want you to see what it says here in chapter 11. Look down at verse uh, 16. Look at what it says. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples... Let us also go so that we may die with him. Now they were concerned that Jesus might be not received well when he got back to Jerusalem. And that if they went with him, they also might be tortured and persecuted. And there was some discussion about not even going, not wanting Jesus to go. But Thomas is the one who turned the tide, it would seem, and said to his disciples, hey guys, he said on going, and we need to support him. We need to go with him even if it cost us our lives. The first thing I want you to see is that Thomas was a man of courage. A man of courage. And when you think of Thomas initially, you don't see this come out. You say, oh, he's the doubter. He's the one who didn't want to believe it. Jesus had been raised from the dead. Why is that? First, Take into account what the Bible tells us. He was a man of courage. He was willing to face adversity even if it cost him his very life. Now granted, what one man calls courage is not necessarily courage. I heard about a guy who was bragging to his friends about the fact that he'd cut off the tail of a lion. And over and over, he just kept reminding them, remember, I'm the one who cut off the tail of a lion. Finally, one of them had had enough and said, why, if, if you were so brave, why didn't you cut off his head? He said, oh, somebody else had already done that. Well, well, that's not necessarily courage. But when your life is on the line, when you're willing to take a risk, realizing who you're going with, that's courage. 
Realizing that the Lord is leading you to do it and you say, Lord, I'm willing to commit to it even if I, even if I know there's a bump in the road up ahead. No, even if I know there's a storm brewing. Lord, if you're calling me to do this, I will do it. And, and you have the courage to step out. And Now think about what happened here, folks. Jesus goes back to Bethany. Lazarus has died. He's on his way to the tomb and they're saying to him, Lord, what are you doing? Jesus says, roll the stone away. Lord, it's been three days. By now he's stinking. Read the scripture. That's exactly what they tell him. And as Jesus is making his way to the burial site, remember that Martha says to Jesus, Lord, I know if you'd have been here, he, he wouldn't have died. You could have healed him right from where you are. And I know he'll live again one day. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says to his sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Ladies and gentlemen, I am telling you, I believe because of Thomas, we have this saying recorded of Jesus. Now, it may have been that Jesus would have gone without the disciples. It may have been that he's... But listen, the disciples are there to hear it, to see it, to experience it for themselves. Jesus says... I am the resurrection and the life. What's he doing? He's asking them to put their trust and their faith in him. So many times we want different circumstances. We want a different venue. We want a different way of doing things. And Jesus says, hey, as long as I'm there, focus on me. Put your courage in me. And that's what Thomas was doing here. Guys, even if it cost us our lives, we need to go with him. There's a second thing I want you to see. Just, just a few more chapters over in chapter 14. You'll remember Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. As he's in the upper room with them, I, I think he's talking about dying. He's talking about leaving them. And I think that their expressions were just sort of transparent. Jesus knew their hearts were heavy. And, and he begins this chapter by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Remember, it's a beautiful passage, one that many of us has memorized. And Jesus said, you believe in the Father, believe also in me. The word believe there is actually commit. Commit yourself to me as you've committed yourself to the Father. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And then look at what the scripture says in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered and said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Because of Thomas, we have another re recorded word of Jesus saying, not just I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Have you ever been in a situation where you, you just kind of had a feeling that everybody had a question on their mind, but nobody wanted to ask, and you had that question too, but you were, you were too timid to ask it? You didn't want to break the silence. You didn't, you didn't want to interrupt the flow of what the teacher was teaching or something like that. I've been in that kind of situation. I know exactly probably what Thomas and the other disciples were thinking. 
I was a student at Ole Miss, and it was my first senior year. I was in a trigonometry class. And I knew from the very first two days that I was in over my head. The, the professor, by the way, and I say this lovingly, I say it respectfully, he was not American. He was of Asian descent, and he did not speak fluent English. So right there, I was in, I was, I was in trouble. And, and so as I sat there and listened to him and, and watched him instruct, he would just fill that board up with all kind of mathematical formulas and he'd be talking and lecturing. And, and if he came across a word that he didn't know how to say in English, he would say it in his native tongue. And I'd just sort of look around the room. I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting on the left-hand side. I'm sort of looking around over my shoulder. And most of the students in there were just like, <sighs> like Sunday night, <sighs> in church. They were just bored, you know. Now, you get past sine and cosine, I'm lost. But all these guys, they were getting it. At, when I was in school, I went through high school, I took Algebra 1, I took Geometry, I took Algebra 2, and that was it. I think that was most of the math that was offered in my high school. But these guys, well, they had, they had it all together, and trigonometry was no problem for them. And so I, I sat in that class several times, right up to the point, you know, you can drop the class without paying for it. Students, let me give you some guidance here. If you're going to college and you're in a class and you're lost and so forth, don't pay for the class because if you know you're not going to do well, go talk to your advisor and figure out if there's another option here for you. And so I went to my advisor and he said, yeah. But in those days, you had to get the professor to sign the form to let you drop. So I got the form from my advisor. I went back to the trigonometry class the next day. And uh, I sat through all of class, like I should have, and then at the end of class, I went up to him and I said, Sir, uh, I, I'm Bill Harden and I need to drop your class. No, no, you no drop, you no drop. I said, Yes, sir, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss here. I don't, I don't know this math. It's, it's way above me. I, I'm not going to pass and it's not going to be good. What's your name? I told him my name again. He pulls out his grade book. Now, we'd had daily grades, homework, assignments, stuff like that, taking a quiz or two, one big test. So I watched his finger go across the page as he read my grades silently to himself. And then he looks at me and said, you need to draw. I said, I know. That's what I've been telling you. But I thought back all the times that I was sitting in there and I was like, you understand? No, I don't understand. I don't have a clue begging somebody else in the room, please ask a question for clarification. But nobody did it. And I was too shy because I didn't want to look S word, stupid. <laughs> Thomas is sitting there and Jesus is trying to comfort him saying, you know where I'm going. You know the way. Pause. Y'all know where he's headed? Anybody know the way? Thomas speaks for them. He says, Lord, hold on for a minute. I'm, I'm sorry, but everybody else in the room may know exactly what you're talking about, but I, how can we know the way? And where are you going? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what that means for you and me? Because of Thomas, we have a greater understanding of this experience that we live with the Lord Jesus on a daily basis. Our life is not full of rules and routines and procedures. 
our life is a love relationship with Jesus Christ. We get up every morning and say, Lord, good morning. Some of us get up and say, good morning, it's Lord. What? We get up and we say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to live my life? Show me what it is you want me to do. And there's an excitement and a passion and an enthusiasm over the thought and the idea that today we get to live a fresh new day with the Lord because He's the way. He's truth. He never leads us astray. He never takes us down a path and tries to trick us or deceive us. This is who He... And because of Thomas, we have this. I think Thomas was a candid kind of man, he, an honest man. He was transparent. And that's how we ought to live our lives. Because what does it do? It builds faith. It builds strength into our loving relationship with the Lord. Look at the last thing that it, that it happens here. You flip over to John chapter 20, and you see the end of that scripture that we started with, showing you Thomas' doubt. But look at what it says in verse 26. I love this passage. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came. The doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Verse 28, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord. My God. Notice that the scripture does not tell us that Thomas reached to touch Jesus' hand or his side. He didn't have to. He knew it was the Lord. And he believed him in that moment. And I think there was an expression of confidence that came from Thomas as he believed, he understood, and he accepted what the other disciples were saying. Why? Because he'd had the experience for himself. Now I want you to listen very carefully to me for just a moment because this is a thought that has occurred to me many times throughout my life, but I don't know that I've grown any more any other time than when I understood this concept. Listen carefully. What happens is you and I, we, we, we read an author, we, we, we listen to a preacher on the radio or on television, or we, we, we come to church, we sit through a Sunday school lesson or a sermon in a worship service, and spiritual truth is imparted. Principles are shared. Things are taught. And we receive them. And most of the time we say, oh, that's good. Oh, I like that. that. I believe that. But it's not until we actually experience ourselves that it takes root and has a place in our lives so that we can come to that teaching and that principle and that precept and that truth over and over and over again. Do you get what I'm saying? You see, as a young person, there were lots of things that I heard taught that I didn't understand, I didn't comprehend, that I didn't embrace, that I didn't really accept as the truth until I grew through that experience and realized, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. I wonder if that's what Thomas was doing. I want to question you this morning. Where was Thomas the first time when Jesus came in the upper room and revealed himself to the disciples? Some people say, oh, he'd given up. He just, he decided he wasn't going to, you know, follow Jesus in the way anymore. I, 
You know, there are some people who believe that he was out looking for Jesus. He just happened to not be at the right place at the right time when Jesus came. But when they started telling him, Jesus has appeared to us. He's been raised from the dead. Thomas, I think, wanted to believe it, but Thomas was willing to say to the disciples, I need to experience this myself. And the Lord gave him that opportunity. It was honest doubt. Can we call it that? Honest doubt. Now I want to tell you something this morning about honest doubt, ladies and gentlemen. If you are big enough and mature enough to be able to say, oh yeah, I've been through things in my life that shook my faith a little bit. You know what you'll discover? That's when you grew. That's when you begin to feel that your relationship with the Lord was forged and welded together in a stronger sense of an understanding of who he is and what he was wanting to accomplish in your life. You see, we come to church, and I'm, I'm not saying this about North Winona Baptist Church. I'm saying this about all churches, many churches, if not every church that I've ever been in, where we come together on a Sunday morning, and we sit here, and I look out, and you know what it looks like? It looks like your halos are shining, your wings are attached, and you're ready. I mean, Jesus could come back, zoom, you're all ready. Nothing that I can say will benefit you whatsoever. But you know, if there are times when you have opportunity to say to a friend or a family or a mission study group or a prayer group or a Sunday school class or somebody and you say, you know what, I'm struggling a little bit. Chances are there's going to be somebody else in that group who's struggling as well. And you learn through that experience how to trust, how to put your faith, how to put everything that rests on your relationship with the Lord back to Him and say, Lord, I don't necessarily have all that it takes. I need you to give it. I need you to help me here just a little bit. You know what? He'll do that. He'll meet you in the upper room just like He met Thomas in the upper room that second time. Because I think He loves you that much. And he wants that much for you and for me. Now, we don't need to be falling apart and doubting, doubting, doubting everything that's said. Every time you see somebody, they don't need to be struggling. When you take time just to get honest enough with yourself to say, Lord, I'm not sure, quite sure I get this. And the Lord will have a sit down with you. And you'll discover that if you can go back and realize that he's put courage in your life. And he's put candidness there, a little honesty, a little transparency. And he can build that confidence back in your life. So that you can come to a point where you say like Thomas again, I believe. My Lord. My God. Stand with me this morning. Father, I confess to you this morning that I do not know personally every person that's here. I don't know where we are in our spiritual journey, whether we're young, just starting out, 
or whether they're seasoned veterans here this morning. No doubt there's some of all of us here. My prayer is that you would show us through the life of Thomas how you want to meet us where we are in that spiritual journey and help us take another step in the right direction. And that's toward you. To strengthen our relationship with you. Lord, help us do that. But it begins with our willingness to admit where we are. Maybe through circumstances or the way we interpret events around us. What's just going on in the world? Maybe the things that we've been taught, Lord, we, we just can't put it all together. I pray you'd help us make sense out of the nonsense. I pray that you'd meet us right where we are, even now, and reveal yourself to us. Show us how we can say yes to whatever you're calling us to. I pray, Lord, that if there is any person in this room who needs to publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would give them the freedom to do that, the courage to come forward and say, yes, I'm not ashamed of it. I've committed my life to Christ. I want to ask this church to pray with me on this newfound relationship that I have with him. And I want to follow him in believer's baptism. Father, if there are Christians here looking for a church home, because your spirit would lead them, let them come and unite with our church family because we receive members in many ways. As we extend this invitation, Father, we do so on your behalf. Through Jesus we pray.